one. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. We are steamrolling through 2021 on what I'm calling my farewell tour. So these are some of the last episodes I'll be doing for Adela Marcy Unplugged. With that being said, let's kick off today with someone that I've been very, very happy to have on the show because ever since I was on their show, it's just like, I gotta get them on mine. The one, the only, Banda Schwert. Did I get that Who's right? Who's well oh said. my god, yes. I was like crapping myself out. You for a did second. well. <laughs> I always get it wrong. So, wait, is, it, is that how you pronounce it? Pretty much, yeah. yeah by the oh, way, no. just so you guys know, I didn't even ask pre show how to pronounce she did, it. Like, he did not. He so did not. <laughs> I want to say that like I had You're some a good head liver. I was like, I wish I had some confidence in that. I really didn't. I was just kind of like, oh, shit. You know what? If you hadn't pulled back, you would have been 100%. But you pulled back right at the end. And you questioned yourself. Don't question yourself. The the story of my life right there. (laughs) Don't question yourself. Um, That being said, guys, sorry, we're just having a little bit of fun here, but... I want my apologies. Fuck you guys for not having fun. Um, this weekend, of course, please have as much fun as possible. Please enjoy yourself. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe. With that being said, I am going to shut my mouth and complete my intro because the person I'm speaking to, Bernadette, is one hell of a copywriter. She has a longer record than she has a longer history in this industry than I do, which is rare. Very rarely do people go above the 20-year mark that I still speak to. I kid that. I, I love everyone in that industry, but still, not everyone, most people. Um Bernadette is literally the teacher of Copy School. Uh, you can head on over to copyschool.com.au. You can also follow her, you can actually follow her company, which is, and business, which is the Australian School of Copywriting, which teaches you everything you need to know about setting up a copywriting business from uh, knowing how to get clients to setting up proposals to actually delivering copy pieces. She does it all. It's like a full on pipeline. So if you're thinking about starting a copywriting career and you're like, hey, I really want to get good at this thing. Go to copyschool.com. And I know, sounds weird. Copywriting, copywriters promoting themselves in their competition. It's the thing. We send flowers where we can. And as always, because I am that egotistical prick that always does this, head on over to greatestcopywriteralive.com. Pick up your story selling uh, matrix that I've been giving away for a while now and go apply it. Make some crazy ass stories, combine it with Copy School. And next thing you know, you're writing sales copy like crazy works like brilliantly works like clockwork with that being said i am going to shut my mouth welcome to my my guest onto the show without any more surprises of her surname and ask my very first question so welcome bernadette how are you today i couldn't be better thank you for having me lovely to make your acquaintance i've heard a lot about you so it's really good to be on your show and of course i interviewed you not that long ago so i know more about you than you know about me exactly or so you believe (laughs) just like this is where like i have these um brain rambles that's exactly what happens anyway so first show of the day as always because we always start off with these so my very first question i have for you Amanda, right off the bat is what the hell got you interested in writing copy like 25 years ago like seriously like what was the transition because a lot of people don't know what we do it's a very yeah. like i kind of fell into this kind of situation yeah well i studied marketing at university and then i got a job in a couple of banks and then i got a job at an ad agency in america and through there, I got a job in Sydney, at a company called Young and Rubicon, which is obviously a very well-known agency. And I worked for the direct marketing arm of them called Wonderman Cato Johnson. And uh, it was a job of my dreams. You know, it, it took me a long time to get that job. I really did lots of different things to get to it. And when I got it, I thought, 
this is great, you know, and we were one of the early proponents of direct marketing. So, you know, in the days when you literally stuffed envelopes and you stuck a label on the envelope and you did a couple of segmentations and, you know, that was really the hype, but it seemed complicated at the time because everything else was just TV and radio and print. Yep. So when you look back, you think, wow, it's so simple compared to what it is now. But I take that in a really good way because when you understand the true basics of just getting a list and segmenting it and then sending out 10 different letters, different versions or whatever it might be, and, and then, you know, getting a telemarketing crew behind that to ring people up, that whole sales process was extremely straightforward, you know. But when you just understand the basics, everything now that's happening, it still makes sense. You know, and I think that's a, that's a good thing to have is a really good foot in the analog world, now a good foot in the digital world. And I, I bring those worlds together for my students. They have to have that because honestly, this is the thing that made me laugh with everyone freaking out with the iOS update with like, oh my God, we can't track people online anymore. How are we going to get customers? I'm like, do you guys forget that only eight years ago, we didn't have any of this t- software. Like if you've entered the online marketing space in the last five years, you motherfuckers got lucky and easy. Like anyone that's been around since pre-2010 has been like, oh yeah, direct mail's a thing. And so is no metrics whatsoever. We don't even know how to track open rates on emails at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I gotta ask, so in your wild adventures through direct response, and again, I still love the damn candy. My cat licked the stamp story. That's still one of my favorite stories ever. Uh, rarely told nowadays. But my question to you is like, what has been one of the greatest um, lessons that you found that's a correlation between the two worlds? Because while they do come from the same origin, they have deviated very, very differently over time. What works in the offline cold direct mail space and the very lukewarm kind of know who you are online space. What do you think has kept the, has kept the similarities but also been the biggest difference between the two? I think you got to keep it simple. I know that sounds like a really easy answer, but we, we can get really complicated about what are we trying to do here? And I, I fall into that too. And then I have to go back to the basics. Who is my customer? You know, what are the questions I have about this product? Where do they hang out? Um, how can we just get one customer, not a hundred million? How do we get one customer? Now, I know that sounds like small thinking, but if you can get one, you can get two. If you get two, you can get four and so on. So I think we can overcomplicate a lot of things and things are complicated. There's no two ways about that. But I think to start with, even if it's the biggest campaign, let's just, firstly, what are we selling? You know, and don't try and sell the whole company at once. You've got to just pick a product or some kind of element of that company, right? If it's if it's not, not a branding campaign. Yeah. So I think if you go back to the basics, that's what I always say is whenever I get confused, it's like, who's my target audience? You know, what do they want? And also recognizing that for a lot of people, they're not waiting for our ads. They're not waiting for our little online video to you know, pass their way. So just keeping that in mind, it's not brain surgery and it's not we're not saving lives as my boss always used to say which was was nice because you know we sometimes get a little bit involved with ourselves about how important this is and it is people's businesses are at stake but at the same time I love the fact that I whatever I do is not going to kill somebody it's not going to save a life (laughs) and I, I, I rest easy that I'm not that kind of person that wants that kind of responsibility you know I just like doing what I do but and I take it seriously but those people who do those big jobs, you know, flying planes and nurses, doctors, bus drivers, I take my hat off to them. I just write copy. Yes. 
though I will say anyone that's like I've always found it really funny that people go um we don't sell save lives in direct response and I'm like you can find some niches where you save lives oh you definitely I do I agree I agree I was retract that just for a second but not in that moment when they're opening up the letter when when you're doing you know to go and get a heart attack you know heart check or to stop smoking or to wear a seatbelt and all those amazing social campaigns that copywriting can really um, contribute to. I absolutely believe on, on a bigger scale. I mean, you look at some of the, you know, look at mental health, you know, the way that's been advertised these days and look at COVID. I mean, it's not that anyone's doing that particularly well, but it all comes down to a message and those messages can be incredibly powerful if they're done in the right way. And I think that's where we do take the, the job seriously. But um, in terms of that immediate, you know, what I do, I'm not going to be killing anybody because I pressed the wrong button. (laughs) Oh, I love that so much, especially when it comes down to the idea of how you can say, like, exactly what you can do and how far you can push it. Because, again, no, I I agree. Sorry, my brain's pinging off six different things. Very quickly, no one's doing COVID advertising correctly because everyone... I agree. Like, everyone relies on the same crappy cliches. I mean, if you guys really want to see how you can do this, and by the way, I did talk about this on your show, I believe. Maybe I didn't. But maybe I will one day. It was the campaign with the survival market where we basically changed things around for them. Did, did I discuss this? Oh, so I'll tell you after the call. I'll tell you after the call. Okay. Basically, it was uh, just remind me survival market and the story behind it because um, we actually used COVID to sell another $400,000 of their products or so. Um, 200000 wow. initially on the campaign. I think they went on over to do $1.2 million, but four hundred dollars wow. that I can remember that I was a part of. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Really simple like tweak but anyway use direct response principles and it works as always now my my question for you realistically here is like who was like the biggest influence in terms of your copywriting like as in actually which copywriter influenced you and then what became your biggest influence away from copywriting that still inspires you well it was a it wasn't a famous person it was right. the person who employed me um and his name was Hugh Kidman and we're still friends and he's 70 something now and he was a beautiful writer, but he gave me my first job. And and I remember the AIDA, you know, Attention, Interest, Desire, Action. And we used to use that model in our advertising campaigns with the client to help them understand, you know, the whole process. Because most people are worried a bit above the line. We're like, well, where does the, the purchase begin? You know, where do they actually buy it from? And influencing that whole, that whole process. So he was really a wonderful writer, but also a very good teacher and working with clients. He was, um, you know, it's meticulous. He didn't want things to go out the door that weren't perfect. So it was a little bit tempestuous, you know, tempestuous, but nowadays people don't really care as much about where that full stop goes and what have you. They just send it out. So that old school where everything really mattered and everything got debated and caring deeply for the client. I always, you know, that that's, I guess it's still there to some degree, but mm, not, the same not as much. No, you no, know? no. Like yeah, that old school, of... yeah. The, yeah, and I one of the things I'd say that I miss about um yes, we are going to transition to old school stuff for just a moment because I am a throwback and I do know this, is you've lost the gunslinger, in my opinion. That's the person you've actually kind of almost seen the death of during the internet, is the gunslinger no longer exists. What Everyone's do you mean like, by the gunslinger? Everyone's kind of like I'm in two niches. This is all I do. Wow. I'm really good at these two things. I'm sorry. I'll take a Gary Halbert, J. Abraham, any day of the week in any niche market or marketplace because you know they'll put in the work. You put in the work, you can write anything. 
to be specialized is honestly just lazy, in my opinion. It means you stop challenging mm. yourself. Mm. And I can say that because there's 420 markets I've written for. <laughs> but also, yeah, yeah. specifically, in that same sense, I know you've written for a crap load of markets. Yeah. My question to you from that actual offshoot is, what do you find as a unifying factors? Or more importantly, what is it you look for when you're going through the actual basics of your direct response campaign? Like when you're actually sitting down to write, what is it that you do? How do you get your research done? If that's okay to ask. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, I just go back to who am I talking to? And I always try and talk to them as if they're sitting across the, the table from me, which is an old, old, you know, works. technique. Um, and I tell you what's really interesting too is I studied acting. I, well, after my advertising career in my late 20s, I went and studied acting at this place called the Victorian College of the Arts, which is kind of like RADA, and, um, and spent three years full-time there and then worked in TV and film and stage for many years. And in that process of becoming an actor, and you actually speak the words, you don't write them necessarily, um, I discovered that as a, as a copywriter, it's a bit like being an actor, but you just don't say them. And it's a bit like being an actor that you take on a role and you fully embody that role and whatever that person's, you know, methodology or the, the, the way they speak, the way they move, the way they think, um, the language that they use, it's just copy, you know, and you just happen to be putting it on the page to sell a product. So I find the worlds of acting and copywriting to be incredibly connected and copywriting is so much easier now because than acting because you haven't got to get out the house. You know? <laughs> I've got to get on stage you can actually just write so I kind of find I'm channeling my actor through my copywriting and I find that is one of the techniques I use which is to imagine I'm having a conversation and I literally have it out loud you know I have it and I said what am I trying to say I'm trying to say this and then I literally say it out loud and I does it work does it does it flow and by reading your work out loud you get a very good indication as to whether it's going to work or not I agree. In fact, that's one of the very first things we do during our edit process is tell people let it sit for a day, come back and read it out loud. And you'll find this inconsistency based on your tonal delivery because you can, a sentence could sound great written down and then you say it out loud and you realize how muddled it is. And you're like, yeah. oh, no, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And even if you stumble on it internally, mentally, the reader, sorry, if you stumble on it out loud, the reader will stumble on it mentally. And, um, yeah, I've just found that to be a very nice technique. And also as an actor reading voiceover scripts for radio, and if you if you stumble, it, for a reason, you, if it doesn't work, it's because it's just not well written. Yeah. And it's the same with a script for like TV, I was in Neighbours many times. And often the, the scripts are easy to remember and they just come and they flow. You don't need to spend too much time memorising. Other times they're very hard to remember. And it comes down to the writing. Again, the ideas are modelled. What would be the obvious thing you'd say next? And it's not there. Yeah. And it's not because it's interesting writing. It's just not well written. Yep. That's always and I think case. it's the same with copy. Well, it is. I mean, the, one of the big secrets I have when it comes down to understanding how to find your avatar, like in my ability to like figure things out in research, I always tell people, go watch, go watch books, uh, read books, watch movies and break down the dialogue. But if you want to do it first, find like start the characteristic of the person down, like write it down like a detective sheet and start embodying what they would do and say in your house, like become them. Once mm. you become that person that you're selling to, you now have an easier access to the mindset. Like yeah. a lot of people kind of just start with, oh, what type of things do they like to buy who are they what is their target demographic blah blah, blah. and they kind of stop on this very surface level thing 
But the thing I really enjoy with the research is I kind of go all the way to who do they listen to? What do they read? What do they enjoy? And then I start doing those things to get into that headspace. Like, okay, why would I enjoy this? Yeah. What is it about this that my view, what past trauma or past joy have I gone through to feel this way about life? Mm. Okay, cool. Now I know who I'm talking to. Mm. Mm. And uh, you can, you can only do so much and like, you can only do so much with yourself, which is one of the reasons why, and again, (laughs) this is a little inside secret I use. I use jujitsu as a way of actually finding my, my voice, because what I do is I train with a guy that fits the profile of who I'm selling to. Uh And then I basically speak, because I'm on good terms with them, I'll just speak to them, get their voice. I'm like, I'm selling to, I don't know, Greg. Greg is my target audience for this. So I need to think like I'm talking to Greg. Yeah. And then just write like him, like if I was writing the text for him. Yeah. I think the other thing that, the the one liner that really has to be established for me is this, what problem do we solve? Yes. And and until that one liner, and it is always one line, often it's a how-to, you know, even if you don't use the how-to in there, but to start with how-to dot, 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 it completely shapes the piece. And then, okay, everything has to be directed to that particular outcome. Okay, yeah. cool. So give me an example of that. So what would be like a how-to problem? Because again, this is something that a lot of people, when you go, okay, so what's the problem you're solving? Everyone yeah. falls over and goes through like 150 iterations because yeah. everyone has been, uh, how do I put this nicely? Everyone's been exposed to so much asshole shit in the, in, the, in the time that everyone's like, that sounds like a basic idea. Go yeah. deeper. And it's like never good enough for the people that you're trying to write it for. Yeah, for yourself. Right. So my yeah. question for you is, how do you, A, find what problem you solve, and B, how do you make it in line so you don't get that pushback because I'm like, that's too basic? Because sometimes the thing that they say is too basic is the thing that would sell the most. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I use this avatar you know, sheet, which we've been talking about really without even mentioning all uh, those questions, but, you know, basic stuff, you know, age, name, or not name, you do the name later. I find the name imperative because once you've done the whole question and you go, now what's her name? Amy, right? Meryl, whatever. But that name, suddenly the picture appears, you know. But you just work through the whole, you know, firstly, what is it that they're missing from their life? You know, the tensions, what do you want, what's missing? And in between is the the gap. But I'll give an example. I'm working with a man at the moment. I'm actually ghostwriting a book for him and which is just long copy, which is really interesting. Just writing a book is long copy. And he, yeah, really long copy. And you know, without knowing what problem he solves with the book, it's very difficult to write. And so after many, many chats, it just, we discover what he wants to help people buy pubs. You know, he's got a franchise operation, so he wants to help people um, buy a pub. So the, the how-to is how to buy a pub. You know, it becomes very simple. If, it, if that's what this whole book is about, then I can write that, you know, but you've got to get it down to one line. So often it just comes down to what is that, the problem that this person has, and then understanding, well, if that's what they want to achieve, what questions have they got about that issue? And then you write the copy based on the questions that have been generated. And I find that's just a really easy place to start. Cheers, like Burn, that's just giving you guys so much gold right now in that one sentence. That's basically saved you five weeks of research. 
well, you don't have, I've, I've been through this, you know, because I never had a process yeah. and no one taught me how to copyright. I just sort of stumbled on it. And over the years, you go, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a simpler way. And, and it is through the questions. Because if we think as questions, you know, when you're thinking about buying a product, you're going, well, how much is it? Where can I get it from? Why is this better than another? What colours does it come in? What if I don't like it? What's the money back, you know, offer? You know, all those... Yeah, yeah. So all those questions that we all have about a product, which are generally not that considered, they're just like flashes of moments. That's our job as copywriters is to identify that for that target market, jot them down and then order them in the right way and then answer them in a very feature benefit written way as you know, compelling as you can. And then try and fit as much of that into the space that you have. And that's the art of the copy is what do you leave out? What do you leave in? And that, that's the joy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And um, I, I always tell people whenever I do my verbalization stuff that like, look, I'm going to go over what you consider deemable, because I'm just letting everything come out. And then we edit it back. Because when you go through the edits, you go, oh, there's all the elements of what I see that I just need to keep and take away. Now, speaking of that, and on to something actually slightly off for shoot here, but still somewhat related. And that is the idea of stories. Because it's really strange to me, and I'm really glad about this, is stories, like, I thought I was the first guy ever to discover the art of using stories and sales, putting together, because, again, you would think that you're like, Eureka! Oh, wait, everyone else knows this? Cool. Um, <laughs> or, like, to this degree? Cool. Um, and people have done, which is brilliant. Like, my question for you is, where do you find your well of stories in order to draw from? Because I use TV advertising books as mine, but I'm very curious to where you find your stories and specifically what you've done to sharpen that blade. Yeah. Do you mean stories that you use in copy or just stories that you tell to anybody or just in general? I actually don't see a line between the two. Personally. Okay. I, I kind yeah. of have them like as the same thing. Yeah, what yeah, I see fair enough. What I see in a day-to-day -day story that I would tell a friend, I put that into a sales letter or an email. True. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I love storytelling too. Um, and I only discovered this uh, really when I was at drama school because they introduced us to Joseph Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces, Great. Hero's Journey. And that was really the structure of, you know, all the scripts we were reading, you know, when I was doing films and what have you. And then I did screenwriting at a university here in Melbourne and that's when they, they really taught us that, that storytelling structure. So since then, I've narrowed that down to like a six-step six structure. I think the 12 is a little bit unwieldy. So I just use a six-step process. And, you know, it's context, challenge, action, uh, results, lessons learned and suggested actions. And I, I love it because you go, okay, what's the context? Well, it's a person in this particular environment this year, um, you know, this is the location that they're in. And then what is the challenge? Well, they, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking the story that I tell often, it's a true story, was I, I was in my house in here in Melbourne and uh, it was Christmas Day and it was 2014 and uh, it, was, it was 18 people over for, for Christmas lunch and they're all having champagne on the deck. And I was cooking Christmas lunch inside and I started to caught a fire you know with the um the, the potatoes that I was sort of um roasting and so I sort of now tell this story because it just it takes us through the process so clearly but every story needs a conflict you know and every story needs 
a moral, you know, so my moral is you've got to have a fire extinguisher in your house or else you're going to you know, burn your house down. But, you know, you've got to understand that the, the, the conflict that you have can be quite small. It can be, do I let this person in front of me when I'm driving, this moral conflict, or do I just push through and tell them to back off? You know, do I give the guy $10 who's begging? You know, do I buy the big issue or not? Have I got time? All that kind of stuff. We have these moral dilemmas. And then you've got the external Wait, you guys have the big issue in Australia? Yeah. Sorry, we do too. I thought it was a very UK only thing. That's quite no, nice no, no, no. No, we definitely have it. Yeah. And every time you walk past, you have that moral thing of, oh, I'd like to have I, have I got the money on me? Have I got the time? You know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, every moment of, of your day, there's a moment of, of decision as to whether you do something or you don't. Um, and that conflict is the, is the basis of a story. So it could be big stuff like my house caught fire this particular day. You know, that was a massive thing about, you know, um, you've got to have a fire extinguisher in your house or what a thing would have blown, you know, burnt down. But so in terms of my stories, I think they're everywhere and often they're mottos to live by. You know, it's like, what do you believe in and how do you want to live your life? Um, you know, I left a, anyway. I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but yeah, stories, ramble I think. Uh, that's what stories are. They're literally just rambles. All right. Yeah, well, one that's, you know, there's some d defining moments because I was working in a bank back in, I don't know, the early 90s before I went into advertising and I wanted to leave because it was a bit boring. And, and I went to university, but before I left, I was wanting to tell the manager how bad he was and what a, you know, pathetic um, <laughs> boss he was because he was a real bully. And I was all of 18, of course, so I knew exactly how the bank should work. And I said to my mum, I want to write him a letter. You know, I want to get revenge and tell him exactly what I thought. And she said, oh, Bernadette, why don't you just write him a nice letter saying thanks for the opportunity? I said, but mum, he needs to know, you know, he's a terrible person and I don't want to leave without, you know, letting him know this. And she said, Bernadette, why don't you just write a nice letter saying thank you for the opportunity? All right, I'll do that. So I leave, write the nice letter, sort of begrudgingly hand it over. Three years after my degree, you know, I finish it and I get a job in a new bank and I sit down for the interview um, and they bring out this big file. I'm just like, why is there a big file? I've never worked for this bank before. And it turns out that this new bank that I was applying for had merged with my old bank. And so what was the first letter on the file sitting there on my desk? On their desk was my resignation letter to that boss. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, what did I say in that letter? Oh, that's right. I wrote a nice letter. And so I got the job. And the moral of the story is I wonder if I'd written that letter the way I wanted to, would I have got that job? And so the moral of the story is don't burn your bridges. Leave nicely if you can. Oh, well, that's the thing I always tell people with, oh, hold on. I think my mic, yeah, no, my phone's there. So I occasionally mute myself because I have you on two screens. It's like moving okay. between two. Lucky you. Um, <laughs> Bernadette in, in duplex, yeah. Oh, yes, two sets. Um, but what was I going to say was, it's surprising how few people do that, even if you have a negative client experience. I talk about this all the time with um, one of my clients with how it went down. It wasn't the best ending to a situation, but I'll always say it, like, the client's a freaking legend. I like him. We get along. I dropped the ball. I know I just put my hands up to it. I wish it was just executed a little bit better between us. That's all. Like a little execution, a little finesse would have been okay, but you know, you can forgive it for what it is. But never, and I found this, I've rarely only, 
you know, I'd say two times in my entire life have I actually left a client situation and gone never working with them and disparaged them. And each time, as much as like you feel great for doing it in the moment, how do I put this? You got to pick your shots, basically. You can't, you can't. You got to come back. You got to come back in the door. If you slam the door, at some point you got to come back in the door and sheepishly as well. It depends as well. Like that kind of comes down to like where you're at. If you're one of the people that's like, all right, I'm going to walk back into this room and still own the fact I called you an asshole, except for calling you an asshole to your face. And you should know very, very well how I feel about you. I will do. Like, I'll open the door, say hello to you, call you an asshole, and then sit back on the table where I sat before, going like, you and I don't get along, but we do get great things together. Um, let's just stay out of each other's way. Actually, did yeah. happen at an agency I worked with a while ago. Uh, there was a copywriter in there whom I didn't get along with morally. And um, the entire situation was us. I just said to them, like, look, you're a great editor, but I hate your guts here's my copy, do what you need to do, and then we'll sort this out later on. Thank you. And that that was our relationship for about two years. Wow. Um, yeah. And he's, yeah, he's, I think... He's the reason I found my actual editor that I work with to this day was because of this There's always a reason, yeah. And I think it depends on your brand, you know, and I know that's a really wanky term, but I think it's how you see yourself and how you want to move through the world. Um, and what I've learned over the years, and I'm not a person who likes conflict, and so therefore I work for myself, you know, for those very reasons. And, and I think when, client, when things don't work out and you have every right to be angry and the right to say whatever you need to say, yeah. I, I figure I want to leave well. I can still say what I need to say, but I need to leave well, have a good leave, yes. as they call it. Um, and mainly because who knows where they might turn up again. And I don't do it for that reason anyway, yeah. but I just like the thought that... Um, you know, if I'm walking down the street, I don't want to be the person who has to cross the street to avoid someone. I really, you know, I want to have that moral, I guess, um, certainty that whatever I've done, I can live with and I can sleep well at night. Um, and that if anyone has to cross the street, it's them, you know, because I've done what I can to repair or do what I needed to do. So that's about what I say to my students, you got to, with clients, even though they have, you have every right to call them on something um will it make you feel better you know how will it leave it in in three months time and what if you see them again what then and more often than not sometimes clients come back to you because of the way you left yeah i had um a friend of mine posted something on facebook like a couple of days ago around uh what do you do if you and a client have a moral conflict like you two are morally opposed how what do you do and it was funny because 90 percent of people in that in that thread were like refund them refund them peace out and refund them and i'm like i peaced out and refunded of a couple of clients before because i didn't morally get along with them but other clients i'm like your product actually sells really well and your product actually helps people you're an asshole like you are an asshole through and through but this is cool. So we found out that we were morally conflicted on like some very in personal stuff. Um, to which I was like, I don't even know why you hired me. You hate half the people that look like me. Hmm. Why do we work together? So we had a whole situation. They're not around anymore. May God rest their soul. But I remember just like speaking to them and going, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Because some of the stuff you post is kind of wild. So I got to unfriend you on Facebook and I can't see you anymore, but your stuff is amazing. Let me write a really good sales letter and let's go from there. 
at the end of it, I wrote the letter. He got it back. When he when we had our fa- final chat to sit down and see how the ads were going, his only words to me were, I don't know how we're going to keep working because it really hurt me when you said that, you know, we were so morally opposed you couldn't work with me. All I wrote was, I was like, I don't need you to defend yourself. You have your own belief structures that came from your own uh, propaganda that you grew up with. We all have it. But here's the thing. That's a toxic environment for me, and I can't work there. Best luck, luck to you. Uh, the campaign did really well. If you ever need me for anything, call me. Handshake. Speak soon. Be well. I got two referrals out of that in like three months. I literally got two. Yeah. Each referrals worth. Uh, one was worth fifteen thousand. The other one was worth um ten. So I made wow. another twenty-five grand in another ninety days because yeah. I decided to shake this person's hand versus. Um, yeah spit in yeah. their face so to say yeah yeah and it, well, that's really a, you're a bigger person you know and you'd be surprised sometimes a small little act where you don't freak out you don't act like an asshole like they expect you to act like an asshole and next yeah. thing you know they're like they're changing their ways they're questioning that's who it they are. that's it yeah. yeah my dad used to say you catch more fish more flies with honey with you know than vinegar which i've always loved it's very hard to do you know turn the other cheek all that he was a you know it's a catholic man and you know very very um you know deeply you know compassionate to the world and i've always i watched him in action you know seeing how he lived his life and my mum for that matter so you know i didn't always do that in my 20s and 30s but as i've got a bit older i've tried to be a bit more like them to be fair that's kind of what your 20s and 30s are for like well i see your teens and 20s and possibly (laughs) you get to make your mistakes i mean totally it wanted, like just to discuss religion just for a second and they were like no i don't give a fuck fuck you um one of the things i really enjoy about my own is that it says that you you don't reach wisdom until the age of 40 like 40 is the age of wisdom so right. you're allowed you get time to make mistakes if you're still alive and around and you actually do make your 40s then yeah you have that but in your 20s and your 30s yeah i'm not saying this is a general rule to everyone some people mature quicker than others some people yeah don't. totally that 20s and 30s time is when you get to make those mistakes of being an asshole. So you know what it feels yeah. like to go the other yeah. side. Because again, I've been a perpetual nice guy for like, I used to be a perpetual nice guy when I was really young. And then yeah. I went the other way where I overcompensated. And then I realized I didn't like being an asshole too much. So I kind of like yeah. found my happy medium. And yeah, you realize right. it's a range. You, you know where you can play. Yeah. Um, and kind of like taking you back to the idea of how people think, because this is really this. I'd say this is the one thing about copywriting in today's day and age has that has annoyed me. The barrier to entry is so low that anyone can get in, which is brilliant mm-hmm. because it's a very rewarding career once you get it right and get it going. But the part that annoys me is people have forgotten how to independently think because mm-hmm. copywriting was the thinking man's game or thinking mm. woman's game rather. Mm. Why I say that is because think about what you have to do. Like you went to, like, if you look at acting, and this is some secret source I don't really share outside of the world, but I do uh, to some degree. Acting is one of my favorite places in the world to know how to write direct response copy. Because again, it goes into embodiment. The second is voice acting. The third is actually reading really good fiction. The fourth is reading psychology. And the fifth is reading about human development and evolution of the brain. Like all this stuff goes great inside your sales letters because you understand how people switch out. Like right now I'm reading everything I can under the sun on ADHD. So it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think the age is in, is interesting, you know, and I, I feel for those people who are growing up in the public eye, and of course they've welcomed that and they've sorted out, but man, it's a blowtorch, you know, and you make one mistake and you're gone, you know, and I, I look back, I think, what did I do? And if that was magnified, it yeah. would be terrible, you know. I don't think I'd be the person I am today because I learned to lick my wounds in private and make my mistakes in private. And so, yeah, I, I'm, and it's funny, you know, I'm of a certain age now where I'm off. When, when I started, I, I've been training a long time, you know, 30 years I've been a trainer. And I was often the youngest person in the room. And I'd often look around and think, oh, I'm, I felt really the imposter syndrome about what can I teach these people? You know, I, I'm, the, I'm literally the youngest person in the room. So I always came to the, the training room with a lot of nerves and fear and worked really hard to overcome that, you know, prepared like crazy, which was a good thing. And yep. now I'm still training and I'm nearly the oldest person in the room. Um, and the only beauty of that is I don't feel the fear anymore. You know, I still feel that sense of anticipation and to share, you know, what I'm going to give, but I don't have that sense of, do I know enough? Or do they know more than me? And even if they do, I think, well, I'm here to share what I have. I'm here to share what I know. And, and that's all I can do. And, and I say that when I, t- I teach presentation skills as well, which to me is the other flip side of yes. copywriting, um, is, you know, people don't expect you to be the expert on everything, but just give them what you can. And just say, I'm here to share. I'm not here to, you know, be the expert. I'm here to share. And I think that that just the, the reframing of the word sharing is quite nice. It just take, softens, I think, the, the pressure. Okay, so that's actually leading to a great question. And that is around the mindset of going, of keeping going. Because let's be honest, like copywriting is soul cleaving at times because you have the highs and the lows. The highs are like, yeah, I'm waiting to the lows. Of, oh my God, what is going on? Yeah. So my question for you is when you, like, I don't know if you ever have hit this, but maybe you might have, where you just hit like, what we call the skid, which is essentially everything. You're in the slumps. Nothing is working out. Every ad campaign you throw up is just trash. You mm. think it's brilliant, but it's coming out like trash. Mm. My question mm. to you is how do you, A, slow, put the brakes on so you can slow down, and B, what do you do? Like, what is the, like, you know when you jump out or jump out or something, like tuck and roll, and then you have all these steps. <laughs> What is your jump, tuck, roll, roll yourself out of the fire and get back up again? Like, oh, what is, God, I've got is so many, so many, a deal. Um, oh, let's go all through as many of them as possible. Yeah, i got tons. Um, I'm mining you for this one. <laughs> yeah, I think firstly, just to know that tomorrow is another day. And that's a, that's a really corny phrase, but I love it because whatever I'm feeling today, I am not necessarily going to feel it tomorrow. Yeah. And just to know that this too shall pass. So accepting that whatever you're feeling won't last. I also can't underestimate the power of a good sleep. Again, corny, but often when I'm feeling low or things aren't working out, it's because I'm tired and I just need to, again, just accept that tomorrow might be another day. So again, these are kind of corny. Ooh, but before, before we continue, I do have a, like, I'm going to add this curveball to you as a question. You're also like coming up to time a like, deadline with a client. Like you're like, everything oh, okay. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, good good question. Back. Yeah, yeah. Now this is like time's up. Okay. Well, up on my wall here, it says publish and be damned. So that's number one is just get it out, right? And any bit of tinkering you have with it is probably not going to make it that much better. Um, Try not to get to that point, you know, try and build in a little bit of a buffer, as you say, the 24-hour rest test so that you're not just sending stuff that you've just written, which is the worst thing you can do, obviously. Um, But also just pair it back, you know, and say, 
this is probably going to be better than what the client could have done. And it's probably going to be better than what, um, you know, the, the audience is, is normally reading, you know. So it's a little bit of acceptance that this is, again, not going to save the world and it's not that, you know, it's it's important, but it's not like life and death. And I that comes back to the stage, you know, when I was rehearsing for plays and things. And and that feels like life and death, even though copy is a bit different because you're, you're in a safe space. But when you're about to walk on stage and there's hundreds of people and you're not certain of your lines or there's something going on that, you know, it's, it's uncertain, that is visceral fear, you know. And I had to get my head around that thinking, well, even if it goes poorly, I'm not going to die, you know, and it'll be embarrassing and it'll be really uncomfortable, but I will get through it, you know. And so that thing about this is not life and death, I use it a lot in my life because... Sometimes it does feel dramatic and it's like, bring it back. You know, you're not a deep sea diver. You know, you're not on a boat trying to, you know, storm the seas kind of thing. You're just writing some copy and just keep it in perspective. And also acknowledge that if they are on deadline and it's not going well, either tell the client and try and buy some time if you have to, or send it and just hope that you can fix it, you know, after the um, the client's complaint. <laughs> But, yeah, just trying to keep perspective. The other one I really like, it's not necessarily about deadlines, but it's called 10, 10, 10. And, you know, if if things are happening to you that you're not enjoying and it seems everything's going wrong, the way I assess it is, okay, will I be feeling this feeling um, in 10 days' time or 10 months' time or 10 years' time? And I try and break it down like this. Okay, right now this feels really rubbish but I'm, I'm probably going to feel it for maybe 10 minutes or 10 hours. Then if that's, but in 10 days, it ain't going to be there anymore. I would have moved on. So in those 10 minutes or 10 hours, you go, just feel it, just accept it. It's horrible, but no, it won't last, you know? And I say that to my son as well, that these feelings of um, whatever you are feeling, just, and that, for example, if you had a cancer diagnosis, that's a different story. Yeah. You know, 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 days, 10 years, you could be feeling bad the whole way through, right? So it's not to say, you you know, nothing's going to bad that's going to happen. But even if that happened, you go, well, how am I going to get through 10 years of feeling this way? I need to find some strategies for doing that. So, you know, it's not a solution for everything, but it just helps work out if the general rule is it's not that bad, get through it, you know, 10 minutes, you can live through it. Exactly. I mean, this is something that's quite interesting because I used to have a similar concept and you just reminded me of it. And that is, and it used to be to deal with uh, people I didn't like. And that was, ah, it's okay. In a hundred years, this won't even matter. Yep. Same deal. It, 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 yeah. It's like in a hundred years, no one that's alive today is, well, actually, I think very few people of the people alive today are going to be alive in a hundred years. <laughs> very few. Yeah. So same, I go to the cemetery to visit my, my father's grave, you know, my dear dad, who I just mentioned, and I look around and I actually don't mind going to the cemetery. And I see that there's all these headstones and so-and-so lived and died. And I think, well, we're all headed there. So why don't I just give this life a real crack, you know, have a yeah. real go, take as, a risk. As the, cause that's the, where we're all heading. Yeah. This life isn't practice. Man. We'll start playing it like it is. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm constantly moving in between this sense of daredevil entrepreneurship, you know, endeavor, and other times I go, eh, eh, this is horrible. 
<laughs> so I'm constantly trying to find ways to get me out of it. Isn't that what it is all the time? It's like, what am I doing? Why does everyone even do this? Can I not just have a simple life where someone pays me where I can slack off? And then you're like, no, no, no. Because nah, you're going to have a complicated be, life. Because then you're going to be like, oh, I have to be nice to people that don't want to be nice. I have to show up to a job I don't want to be show, like, yeah. show up at. Um, or to quote, if you've ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, just Charlie Day going, what, we go to the job fair, they grow jobs on job trees and they're like jobbies everywhere. It's like, <laughs> that would literally be me. I couldn't do that. It's like, yeah. as a, I like to choose my clients, but even so, I'm like moving away from that. So it's the thing. Yeah. Um, but okay. So well, I was I watching, go I was just watching the Pink documentary the other day, you know, Pink, the, the performer. Yeah. Who I um, Alicia. Oh, amazing. Amazing. And this, this documentary is her production, you know, she created it and it is spectacular. And what's so interesting, you know, she's at Wembley, 80,000 people, and she's doing this acrobatic thing throughout the whole venue it's quite extraordinary and and there's a little moment of her walking backstage and she's going I just wouldn't be a rock and roll star so I could tell everyone to get stuffed and I could do it exactly what I want and not have any responsibility and here I am I've got 225 staff I've got 80,000 people out there I've got a multi-million dollar production that I've got to manage and it's all on me and I thought interesting you know like what she was going for at the beginning was the rock and roll no response no responsibility kick ass, you know, be yourself, not have any cares. And here she is, the success that she is, and and she gets all the other stuff that she didn't really want. So whatever you do, there's a cost. Yeah. You know, there's a price. There is. And it's really interesting because there was that old, this means I've been around for like 10, 15 years at the very least. It's, uh, what's it called? I'll work 90 hours a week for myself so I can avoid working 60 hours a week for someone else. I haven't heard that. Yeah, that's I haven't weird. heard that. Really? Yeah, that's basically yeah. like, I'm butchering that phrase really badly, but essentially it's like I'd that work more sense. hours for myself than for someone else. And you're like, yeah, why totally. responsibility and freedom? But what do you do? I hate everyone. <laughs> it's just the <a> thing. <laughs> But as far as it goes to the marketing world, and this is something that's fairly interesting, is we're going through an evolution again where it's very similar to like a 20-year cycle that very few people have even like are watching. It's hilarious. Oh, what like? Well, think about it. In 2000s, 2000, up from 2000, 2009, 10, everyone was product-based. Even to, up until 2013, everyone was like products, 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 products. Even we're still in the product phase. We love products. But we kind of switched from like 2016, 15, 16 onwards, actually even 13, 14, 15. Yeah, 14, 15, 16 onwards with the creation of funnel creation and like people knowing exactly what it is because it became really popular and digital marketer being who they are and all the other fun stuff. What you end up getting is everyone kind of went to service-based businesses. Everyone became mm. a service-based business. And then what you realize, and Jason uh, Moffat said this best, he goes, huh, do you remember when like we all like wanted to leave service-based businesses because clients were assholes and we all wanted to go do something online where we didn't have to speak to anyone? And now we've gone from doing stuff where we don't have to speak to anyone to having to speak to more people than we know what to do with. And what's really so interesting true. is now like it's kind of going the other way. It's like, nope, we want products yet. Yeah. And it's just like a nice little like diversion now, but you need to like the way the products are now de being delivered have to be different than what they were because people's attention spans are nowhere near what they used to be. Yeah. 
speaking from that generation. Uh, you, you, um, you think back to the internet days of early 2000s, of which I was there, you were there, and on the websites, you didn't want a phone number. No. You, you could not find a phone number for, you know, Anything. for life or death. You couldn't find any contact, right? You're on your own. If you bought something, didn't work, tough luck, you know, buyer beware. Now there's a survey that comes your way. There's the email, there's the phone, there's the chat box. You know, we, there's so many service channels. It's, you know, they want you to talk to them. So it's been quite interesting to watch that. And I think um, what I'm seeing too lately is um, in the online space, in terms of the online uh, companies, they're going back to billboards, you know, offline advertising, a TV, you know, like Google's advertising on TV. Why? You really have to ask, but not not just them, but uh, thing like Canva. You know, you know Canva, they're the, the design yeah. company. They're Australian, but billion dollar company, amazing. They're advertising on billboards and bus stops and buses, and you know, it's it's a thing. All the online companies are. I guess they're exhausted their online channels to some degree, and they're just going, yeah. "Well, where else can we find new eyeballs?" And also because, like, let's be honest, offline still works if it's done properly. And the problem, yeah. and the good news is, and that's the thing that no one's really thinking about right now, is you can actually offer your services offline and be like, hey, guys, here's what you do. And uh, I'll tell you of a really fun campaign off air as well, like, because we've been on Instagram for a little long and I'll tell you about it. But essentially, it's an idea I still need to execute on, but it does work because I've done it for other people. It's just like it works. I just need to go do it. Um, now we're kind of like hitting one of my favorite spots on the show, which I really love. And that is the question we've kind of slightly covered it. And that is the mindset side of writing and the mindset side of things. But let's just look at it from this way into a more practical step-by-step. So like life invariably kicks you in the nuts. It has a habit of doing multiple of those at the same time. Um, men nuts, ladies nuts, doesn't really matter. Just kicks you in the nuts. Let's say it kicks you in the ovaries uh, where it's really painful. What do you do to get back up? Like, how do you stop yourself from like falling so far behind? And what do you do to get yourself back up when things have piled on? Yeah, I think it comes back to the basics. And I, I know you meditate as well, but I've been a meditator for about 30 years and find that it's my touchstone. Again, it's really boring and corny, but it's no, all the good no, stuff no, no, is no, no, corny no. and boring. You know, I could say, I'm oh, I do this. Down. I'm going to stop you there and say it's not boring and corny because people need to hear the shit. Yeah. I, you know, because you can get complicated, but it's yeah. like, well, if I eat well, exercise well, get a good sleep and meditate, I and, and stay in touch with my friends, um, I tend to find that those basics, if they're taken care of, the other things get taken care of. But when those get ignored or dismissed, then other things start to go badly as well. What a coincidence, you know. And also, I'm a big, um, I take on a lot and I overschedule, yeah. and I overwork. Yeah. And I, I do that, I think, just to just, you know, not think about stuff to some degree or just to distract myself. And I know I can almost feel myself accepting a job going, why are you saying yes to this? You just know this is going to give you grief, you know? So just well, knowing why what... Why are you saying that you'll do this extra thing when you know you don't want to do this extra <laughs> thing? So, you know, there's a whole bunch of assessment about why you do what you do and um and then i think okay what am i avoiding here you know what am i trying to prevent but meditation for me is i teach meditation as well which is great i love to teach that what i want to know because that is the only way that's why i love teaching copywriting you know i really want to know it and if you teach it you get to know it pretty quickly yes and with meditation um 
yeah, I just I just find that it's that what what it does for me is it buys me time. You know, if someone some says something to me or there's a, a reaction that I'm about to have, it, it could be an unhelpful reaction. It, it's a, you know, not a good one. And that extra little bit of space that's created through meditation enables me to go, what is the best response in this moment? And it might not be the obvious one, you know. So for me, it just enables me to, to be a better person, again, corny, but to not stuff things up, you know, even with with my son, you know, sometimes some things happen and I could, the easy thing is to rage, you know, or to be angry because it feels good, right? But it's not necessarily the best reaction. Yeah, so right. then it gives me a choice. Okay, what do I do in this moment? Do I do this or do that? So that for me is... Um, is why I do it. And, and that helps me calm myself down and start to see perspective. And also it gives you joy. You know, when I don't do it, I sense my joy is diminishing. And I was speaking to a woman on the plane when you could fly a while back. And it was one of those random conversations you have with a stranger, which is quite wonderful. And she was having some depression issues and, and uh, we were talking about meditation. And she said, meditation is like vitamins. You only know they're working when you stop taking them. And I thought, oh, that's really true about meditation. When I stop meditating, I really feel it, you yeah. know. So, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, I do that with uh, fighting. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's similar. It's a moving yeah. meditation, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah, because I can't sit still. Like, that's my only thing is, like, sitting still is, is a bad thing. Um, okay, yeah. so one of my other, and that's a brilliant answer. Thank you so much for that. And it's true. You just go back to the basics of just meditating, sleeping, looking after yourself, being around, doing the things that you love, believe it or not, empower you and fuel you. Um, so my question to you here is that I actually has two questions. One I, I never get to ask and one I'm, I'm just going to ask you right now. And that is the, this question of, and it's off the offshoot of that, how do you find balance specifically? Because this is something I realize I do and I feel like you might also do is um, if I do anything, I can't do it by half. I have to go 100% into it. The problem with that is like, say if I start working out, I'll start working out all the time and then like, forget my work. It's like a thing in the past. So yeah. how do you keep that boundary between I'm gonna give myself this much amount of time to do this and I'm gonna disengage, come back to this and engage in this other thing. Because people yeah. go work out in the morning, you'll have a great time. And I do love working out in the morning. The problem is the rest of the day is now trash. Yeah, because you're tired? Because I don't want to. Like, I just don't want to continue my day. Like, I go back, I have the nap, I come back, and I just spend the rest of my day going, ah. Yeah, got it, got it. But that's interesting, isn't it? Because in those moments, you have to decide, is it worth pushing through? This is not answering your question, by the way, but in those moments, because I get them too, you think, should I just push through and, and make it really hard for myself and just, you know, be really, you know, hardcore about it? Or do I say, you know what, give it up. Go and get a massage go and go out for lunch, you know, in those moments, I think decisions are made where, yeah, sometimes you just have to push through it and you come good. And other times, no matter what you do, it's just hard. So I feel those moments. I know what you're talking about. Balance, I don't really have balance. And um, I'm all or nothing. And I've had to accept that. And people who know me well, like friends from high school and stuff, they go, stop trying to change. We, this is who you are. You go full tilt for months writing a book or whatever, and then you collapse and then you worry about you're never going to get your energy back. You worry that you're going to lose your motivation. You will always get your motivation back because it always happens. So I, I've given up the sense of balance. Um, and what I do now is I book holidays. Nice. So I know that on a certain day I'm going away. And it works really well for me because as that date 
draws nearer, the deadlines are getting tighter. It's like, got to do it, got to do it. But it is easy to do it because I've got this wonderful gift awaiting me, which is a holiday. So that's my long answer. The short answer is I book in massages, I book in lunches, I book in movies and things that are very small rewards for me um, that I really, really enjoy. And it, it, like, even just a book of a massage at, say, three o'clock, I think if I just finish this project, you know, half past two, then I can have my massage with a clear conscience. But if I feel like slacking off, I can't go to the massage because I don't enjoy it because I'm thinking about this thing I should have finished. So I use mini rewards, I guess, is the answer there to See, that, that's, help. That, that's fascinating, which my brain, as soon as I hear that, my brain goes, yeah. So if I've got a massage in a half hour, what my brain does, it goes into standby mode and goes, we have half an hour to do nothing. I'm like, oh, okay. that's interesting. I did the opposite. Yeah. It's, it's an I got to get it done. It's an ADHD thing, apparently, where like, well, we yeah, can't right. tell time because, like, well, we can tell time, but time means nothing to us because it's like we can get this thing done in like two hours if we wanted to. You have two hours to do it. I'll goof off for two hours. <laughs> it's like, got it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much one of those little things. That's interesting. I, I don't do anything unless there's a deadline. Yeah. No, deadline for oh, sure. Like, I nothing I, I, gets I, done. I, no, 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 no. I need a definite deadline and I need to have a realistic deadline. I need one that's real and one that isn't. And I realize the more the older I get as well as a copywriter is I cannot do the thing if I'm doing my copy work. I actually need to speak to my client like, all right, let me do my magic thing with you and I can edit this. If you leave me alone, I'm going to go into my own world for like 10 days and two weeks and beat myself up a bunch and be like, why am I late? And just feel horrible about stuff. So it happens. It, it, it definitely happens. And one of my last questions, we're going to like really wrap this up with a shorter version of this. What are the five books and movies you recommend to almost anyone to read? Doesn't have to be about copy. It could be just, I love these books and movies. Okay. I'll start with movies. Yes. There's a really dark film called Happiness that was dark as, yeah, it's not happy at all. But it's one of those films I felt shifted by and moved, um, you know, really changed by. Um, anything with Ryan Gosling, mm -hmm. uh, anything with Julianne Moore. Um, have you seen, have you seen uh, Kingsman 2? No. Oh, you I saw Kingsman 1 and I didn't like it. What? How? Okay, Sorry. Kingsman 2 is hilarious. Julianne Moore is it? Kingsman 2. And she has oh, one of my favorite words. She has one of my favorite lines and it's just like, here's your new arm. It's called arm. Again, and it's just her delivery is so perfect. I'm like, oh, that's Julianne Moore. <laughs> yeah, she can do anything. The Kids Are All Right was a great film. Um, what else? Uh, anything with Jim Carrey? Yes. Uh, anything with Will Ferrell and Steve Carell? I love those slacker dudes, you know, that that sort of... Um, and The Office, my God, The American Office is sublime. Yes. Have you seen Community? No, but I have heard a lot about it. Seasons and it's a sim one and two. Seasons one and two, woman. You need to watch okay. them. Because okay. Just, they, are, they are two. Like, I'll say this much. You had Parks and Rec. You had Community. You had The Office. And you had like one other show, which I can't remember right now. I think it was 30 Rock or something. You had like this lineup of like four killer shows all at the same time. Yeah. Community is the first two seasons of Community are the undisputed kings and queens of that era. Think any show, like the okay. Parks and Rec, whatever it is, community seasons one and two have better writing than their entire staff writers in the okay. entire thing. And that's throwing yeah. a challenge down. 
Okay. I'll, I will throw that challenge down. But okay. I yeah. I take it. Would recommend. I mean, speaking of um, Colin Firth and Kingsman, um, the King's speech is outstanding. Mamma Mia. Yeah. I'll go wrong with Mamma Mia as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice one. So books, uh, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan and have been for Great. many years. I actually worked for his company when Same. he came to Australia. Yeah, right. You yeah, I was worked for the promoter. I was listening to Personal Power the other day, and I swear to God, I was like, whenever I feel shivy, Tony's the guy that I go to, and I feel great afterwards. I know. Like, I know. Slate him for what you want, but his shit works. I know. People criticize him like crazy, but, yeah, he he really popularized NLP, obviously, and brought it to the masses, and for that, you've got to be grateful. Um, There wouldn't be a self industry without him, in my opinion. Yeah, and he's a force for good. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, criticize him for all you like, but... I think he's he's a genuine, you know, he's got a good heart. Um, books. Oh, my God, American Dirt. I just finished. Ooh. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. What's it about? Yeah, that's about the Mexican um, people trying to get across the border into the United States. It's a, it's a, from the minute that book opens, your heart is pounding. The, the way it's written is so, from a copywriting perspective, she has got you by the neck. You know, it's, it's a great, great journey. You feel you're there. It's terrifying. Um, what else? Oh, I'm a big self-development fan. I love books about meditation. Oh, there's a beautiful book with, it's called The um, Diamond Cutter mm-hmm. by Michael Roach. He's a meditator and a businessman. And he um, was tasked to bring Buddhism into the, his workplace. And it was his journey of how you can bring Buddhism into a corporate sensibility and it's a really nice way because i do think business should be done in a buddhist way i'm never probably going to be warren buffett with that mentality but that's okay um but yeah i think i really like those books where you can do business differently you can do business nicely i think to, to be fair this is something that i'm starting to realize is when i was younger i had this massive goal i'm gonna be a billionaire i'm gonna go do this i'm gonna go do that as I've gotten older, I realized I actually prefer just chilling out. And again, something else that I find with friends and stuff, whenever they go through meditations with them, they're like, no, you can make hundreds of millions of dollars and not lose your chill out, whatever it is, your vibe. I'm like, yeah, but you got to also realize how much work do I really care about? Like at the end of the day, am I looking after the people I want to look after? Am I looking after these people? Fair enough. I'm making a couple of million a year. I'm happy with that. And I can easily get there once I've got my brain in order, which I'm doing right now. Um, cause I think it was Dan Kennedy. I don't, a lot of people don't know this, but Dan Kennedy took 40, I think it was like 10 to 14 years to become a millionaire. Like he didn't actually become a millionaire until his forties and mm. he'd been around for like since he was tw- in his twenties. And the reason mm. being, and this is the truth. And this is what I find as well with uh, true with other people. Dan had worked on businesses of such a high caliber that he didn't know how he like, he, he knew how to get to that point to leverage. But it was that, let's say for, for me, it's like the half million dollar mark. So if you're doing half a million, you've got these structures in place. I know how to scale you. Me, I'm not at that. I wasn't at that point. So I couldn't scale at the same speed. But I also know the moment I could break that half million dollar mark, it's like, oh, I know exactly what to do here. Let's turn that up to like 10 million now. Let's just like really crank this up because we know what we're doing. Dan mm. did the same thing. It was one of the most incredible things out there. Mm. So great recommendations on books. I think you have one more left. Well, there's, uh, there's there, that money, I think it's really interesting. I've just written a book, as I ghostwrote it, called Catch of the Decade. And it's by a man called Gabby Leibovich. Um, and I go, Catch of the Decade. Okay, I thought you said the dickhead. I was like, okay, that's <laughs> hilarious as a title, but... Uh... 
Just got to double check that. Very decade. catchy. That is catchy. After the decade. Um, the reason I'm mentioning that is because it ties in firstly, well, it's a book that I do recommend people read because I've, I've, I've written it. But um, the guy who I was writing it for and his brother, uh, they sold their company for nearly a billion dollars, right? So I got to spend nine months with these, these two men and particularly one of them. And getting the insight in, into the head of people who are operating at that level, firstly, the work that's required to, yeah. to get to that. But secondly, when they sold all their businesses and they made all this money, they, they can retire and have retired many times over. They'll never have to worry about money ever again. He said he's never been more bored in his life. He's never been more sad in his life because he's walking the streets and the beaches and coffees and he's done everything he wants to do. And now he wants to get back to business. He wants to do something again. And I said, what is it that it gives you? You know, he says, it gives me purpose. I want to build a team. I want to be with people. I want to create something. So I think pursuit for the sake of money is misguided. Yeah. And I know everyone's sort of swallowing the Kool-Aid and money's up there with oxygen, of course. But at what point, at what, at what sacrifice are you going to make to get there? And who, who, who are you going to lose along the way? And what, you know, what, what are you going to lose in terms of your, your family or friends, whatever? So for me, that was a really good opportunity to seek, to speak with someone and sit with them at length to hear about their stories of someone who never has to worry about money. But it wasn't, that wasn't the goal in the end. It was like, it's the challenge. It was the thrill of it, you know. So for me, I, I, I have a balance in that respect. I don't just pursue money for the sake of it. I can't. It doesn't bother. It doesn't no, doesn't money, do it for me. Money. I don't know about you, but I get the same way. The feeling of someone paying me money, I'm like, yes, I feel amazing. This is brilliant. Yeah. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, okay, now what's the fun thing? Like the thing that it makes I know it's so the really it's that hit, you know, the win, the win yeah. of the sale, but, and then you got to do it. Yeah, but also I think the, the thing that really drives me, I believe it drives you, is just. So I got asked uh, the other, I got asked by speaking to a friend of mine, like, um, what drives me? And he was like, he asked me the Dan Sullivan question. It's like, what are you utterly obsessed with? And I'm going to ask you the same question. What are you utterly obsessed with? Not much. No, I mean, there's like one thing that like, so I'll give you mine. So the one that I'm utterly obsessed with is I'm utterly obsessed with how people think. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I am yeah, yeah. So obsessed with it that, like, okay, I'm with you. Yeah. Like, so, what would be yours? I'm utterly obsessed with why people do what they do. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, you're, you're that drives me. How? That's interesting. I am. So, thank you for clarifying that for me because I've, I've always struggled with this obsession thing because I don't obsess about anything. Yeah. I don't care about enough about anything to do it all the time. Um, or I do it for a little while, and then I, I don't. But yeah. that sense of why do people do what they do? I don't get that. And I'm, it was just when people behave badly, that blows my mind. Yes. It's like, why are you doing this? Like, how yeah. did you get here? Yeah. Those, yeah. Things are, those things are literally always like, so the reason I read so many books on psychology and so many different fields, like medical, uh, raising kids, like just everything that you can think of is in this library um it's to answer that question like how do people think what is psychologically the triggers that go through their mind in order to get them to where they're at whereas with you you're yeah. like what is the reason behind it now while yeah. they are while they are related they are still they're in the same field they're slightly divergent mm. and there's a lot of crossover but it's fascinating 
Yeah. And by the way, that was what the question did for me as well. When he asked me, it was like, what are you utterly obsessed by? I was like, oh, I don't really know. It goes, no, seriously, like, why do you do what you do? I was like, I love understanding how people think. Like yeah. genuinely it brings me so much joy. Yeah. Um, and isn't it awesome that you can write copy which leverages that knowledge? Yeah. It is a true match, really. For now, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've stepped out writing for clients, but like uh, we'll have that discussion again off air and stuff. But guys, yeah. as always, please go check out copyschool.com. You are not privy to that conversation. I'm sorry. We might release it one day. Who knows? Uh, head on over to copyschool.com get started with it there are um i know i know when you land on that page you'll be like motherfucker adult can you just go ahead and like ask for the slight tweaks because i hate the word learn and everyone that knows me knows how much i hate the word learn <laughs> but uh go check out the website please join it because i i'm already a member of it i'm going through it as well like this is what i mean you got to keep going through you got to go through the sharpening process of iron sharpens iron so go check it out. And you know if I'm recommending. I have my own copywriting course. If I'm recommending another copywriting course, you know it's golden. You know it's golden. It's got a lot of great tips in there on how to stretch things from the very beginning all the way to doing your damn research and then executing and delivering for a client. It's probably one of the best courses out that you can find that does that. If you have my course, this makes it easier for you because you the, the part that you now get to use is... How do you build everything else around it to make my course more relevant? It just works in tandem together. So guys, would recommend it heavily. Go check it out. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe, and have yourself an amazing weekend. Bernadette, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been great to talk to you. Take care, guys. Have a great weekend. Bye.